Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Does temple work make a Mormon humble? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We have been looking at an article in the August 2015 edition of Ensign Magazine, We Believe in Being Humble. It's found on page 10, the article itself. But then on the right-hand side, there are some illustrations. And yesterday we began looking at these illustrations on how a Latter-day Saint can show humility. And as we mentioned yesterday, they mentioned receiving counsel and correction, giving selfless service, praying with real intent serving a mission. And then the fifth illustration is doing family history work and attending the temple more frequently. Now, why, Eric, would you think that temple work is not necessarily a way for a Latter-day Saint to learn humility? Well, first of all, how does a Mormon even get into the temple in the first place? He has to get baptized and get confirmed into the LDS Church. That's the first step. Then he has to have been a member for a year, and then he can go through the process of getting an interview with his bishop to be able to get a temple recommend. The temple recommend is a special card that a Latter-day Saint will get if he qualifies by answering the questions that are offered him in a correct manner. Some of the things that are asked are if the person is sexually active, if they're single, they shouldn't be sexually active at all. If they are married, only that person. Uh, they're not supposed to imbibe with any drugs or alcohol or hot drinks even. So they're not allowed to have coffee or tea. They have to be faithful attenders of the local services. They have to be a full tithe payer, 10%. These are all things that they have to do to be able to be qualified to get this special card, the only way that they will be able to ever enter there. In other words, what you're saying is in order to even go into a temple and to do family work for them, and this would be like baptisms for the dead and such like that, and attending the temple more frequently, of course, would be more encompassing to include the temple endowment ceremony. In order for a Mormon to even be able to participate in that, they have to prove themselves to have accomplished certain things. And it's all based on their own actions, on things that they have done. So a Mormon who qualifies for the temple obviously has proven himself, as they would say, worthy in a certain capacity. And here's a point I want to bring up. Can a Mormon demonstrate pride even in that? Absolutely, I would say they could. Let's look at the temple garment itself. There are certain styles of temple garments that an individual male can purchase from the LDS Distribution Center. Years ago, there was usually just one type of style with a very broad, rounded neck, what some Mormons call the celestial smile or the eternal smile. If you see someone wearing one of these underneath a white shirt, you know that's a temple garment. It's obvious. 
They also, not too terribly long ago, came out with other styles for men, a V-neck and a crew neck. And a crew neck was up a little bit higher, just below the, just around the neckline of the individual. Now, that style of temple garment doesn't look much different than an average undershirt that a man would wear. I wonder how many Mormons, when making a decision upon which garment style to buy, decided to go with the celestial smile style because it certainly shows that it is unique and it would mean to the person who sees it, if they're Latter-day Saint and even know this, but it would show to them that this person is a Temple Mormon and qualifies for his recommend. And because of that reason, purchase that particular style. Would that not be an act of pride on that individual's part? It most certainly would be. You would think, I want them to know what I've accomplished. That would be a pride problem. And being able to go to the temple, this is the holiest place in all of Mormonism. And it's not just one place, it's dozens and dozens of places all over the world. But you can't get in unless you wear those garments regularly and do all the other things. Your actions will then allow you to be able to go there. Isn't there an element of pride in saying that I was able to accomplish everything that the church asked me to do, and so I'm going to have this card that will allow me to go do the work that others who are less fortunate, who haven't done everything they should have, are not able to do because they don't have this card. And because people do tend to look up to those who have these type of accomplishments in the Mormon church, you can see how that could be reflected in pride on behalf of the person who has done it, especially, let's say, a Mormon who takes time off and uses their vacation time to go visit various temples. What a story to tell other people. Look what we did. Now, they might try to tell that story in a humble way, but does it really come off being all that humble, or does it look a little prideful? Now, Jesus told a story, a parable, in Luke chapter 18, and in verses 11 and 12, as he's talking about the Pharisee and the publican, or the tax collector, this is what the Pharisee says in in verses 11 and 12. He says, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as is publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That is a prideful attitude. And does Jesus commend that? No. But that's exactly what a Mormon needs to be thinking if they're going to feel that they're qualified to go to the temple, that they're not like other people and they don't do the things that other people do. And if you're a Latter-day Saint going to your temple recommend interview, and if you were to respond as the publican did in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, or Bishop, be merciful to me, a sinner, and ex- and explains that, no, I haven't done everything I should have done. I did have pride. I did have lust. I had these sins that I've been dealing with. Do you think that he's going to get the temple recommend? It would really depend on the bishop or the stake president who's doing the interviewing, but you're probably very right. If a person did go into his interview and started spelling out all of their shortcomings, being totally honest with all of their sins, the chances are probably very good that they would not qualify for a temple recommend. And it was a publican that Jesus says in verse 14 that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. As I said in yesterday's broadcast, Bill, I think that Mormonism fosters a prideful attitude, and it's based on what you have done and your worthiness. And the temple recommend itself, I think, is the epitome of this. 
I think any religious structure that says that you must do things in order to appease God is going to foster that kind of stuff. It could work the opposite way with people who really know themselves and know themselves to be unworthy, wondering if they could ever qualify. But at the same time, as we've seen in the lives of many Latter-day Saints, sadly, there are a lot of very prideful Latter-day Saints. There's a lot of prideful professing Christians as well. And I say that to their shame. I say that to my shame. But certainly, we understand that despite that shortcoming, the blood of Christ does cover that. And that leads me into looking at what Alma 5 has to say about this, because I think it's very important, if you put things in perspective, to see what Alma 5 has to say. Verse 27 says, Have ye walked, keeping yourselves blameless before God? Could ye say, if ye were called to die at this time, within yourselves, that ye have been sufficiently humble. Let me stop you there, because if you were to ask me that question, if you were to ask me that right now, if God was to ask me that question, I would say no. My answer would be no. No, I haven't. But the next part of that verse, I think, would put me at ease. So go ahead and read that. It says that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ who will come to redeem his people from their sins. Now that portion of the verse would give me comfort, because even though I know in and of myself that I am not blameless, that I certainly have been prideful, that I have not been sufficiently humble, and how do you even answer that question? Have you been sufficiently humble? If you say yes, you prove you're not. If you say no, you're self-condemning. But when it says that my garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, who will come to redeem his people from their sins, I would say, Yes, that has happened in my life. My sins have been cleansed because of what Jesus did for me. But then you get into verse 28. And I want to point out, Bill, I think that's the Christian gospel. That second part of verse 27 is talking about the blood of Christ. That's how we're redeemed from our sins. But verse 28 goes on, and he's not done. Behold, are ye stripped of pride? I say unto you, if ye are not, ye are not prepared to meet God. Behold, ye must prepare quickly, for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand, and such an one hath not eternal life. Now, if verse 28 is true, then what in the world is the second portion of verse 27 even there for? It's negated. It certainly is, because if my sins, if my garments, okay, my metaphoric garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, What that means to me as a Bible-believing Christian is that despite my shortcomings, despite my sin, despite the arrogance and and the autonomy that often springs up in my sinful life, the blood of Christ has taken care of that because of my faith in what Jesus did for me. He didn't save me with the understanding that I was a perfect person, and he certainly understands that even after he saves me, I'm not going to be a perfect person. But my sins need to be taken care of. If the blood of Christ has taken care of my sins, though I'm certainly not proud of that pride that I have, interesting play on words there, Mm -hmm. but still I have the assurance that that sin has been taken care of because of the blood of Christ. But then you go into verse 28 as you say, Behold, are you stripped of pride? I say unto you, if you are not, you are not prepared to meet God. Well, wait a minute. If my sin has been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, why wouldn't I be prepared to meet God? You see, this is why I say that when I read the Book of Mormon, it sounds like it's a book about confused Protestants. Because Smith certainly sounds like a confused Protestant He takes some orthodoxy, moves it in, but then he moves it in with other 
unorthodox ideas, and such as the idea that your works and your attitude is what is needed as well. But even though I've had my garments cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, verse 28 says, no, I still have more to do. I have to prepare quickly for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand and such an one hath not eternal life. In other words, a person who is not stripped of pride does not have eternal life. Latter-day Saint, are you reading this carefully? Because I get Mormons all the time wanting to prove to me that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And my response many times is, why in the world would you want it to be the Word of God in light of things like this? Real quick, we're running out of time, but verse 29 goes on and says you have to be stripped of envy as well. It says, the hour is close at hand, and he knoweth not when the time shall come, for such an one is not found guiltless. So I have to ask you, if you're a Latter-day Saint listening to this, if you want to go by the rules of Mormonism, if you want to believe the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, that verse is speaking about you. How are you doing at that? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. You just listened to today's broadcast of Viewpoint on Mormonism. But did you know that you can hear previous shows at your convenience? The Viewpoint on Mormonism podcast is free on the Internet and will help you learn more about the LDS religion. Feel free to listen on your computer or download to your favorite listening device. Just go to MRM.org and click on the right side where it says On Air. All of our shows are here, so visit MRM.org today.